What is Snooze Flip? Snooze Flip is one of the most universal mattresses on the planet. You can customize your sleep experience to fit your needs. One side is soft, one side is firm, and you can flip it to the side that fits your body best. The cover is also reversible, with one side up to 5 degrees cooler and cozy warm on the other side. This zippable cover makes the Snooze Flip a true 4-in-1 mattress. Don't stress through shopping hundreds of beds online. Snooze Flip has all the features in one and Snooze will ship it straight to your door. The mattress expands faster than most. You can be sleeping on your new mattress on the same day as delivery. There's a YouTube video of us unpacking Ali and RK's mattress in the bar. Check it out. When you are a part of Snooze Sleep, you are a part of a community, just like the DNVR community. No exaggeration, a community of go-getters, hustlers, athletes, entrepreneurs, the people who need to energize their bodies so they can wake up feeling amazing the next day and conquer their biggest dreams and goals. Finally, Snooze Sleep is locally based. We know how much you love supporting our local partners. The thing is, Snooze is made by Colorado, designed for the world. You can all take advantage of a new Snooze Flip mattress that gets delivered straight to your door and Snooze Sleep is hooking you up. Use the code DNVR and receive $250 off a mattress and $250 off with an adjustable base. That's $500 worth of savings on a queen mattress with an adjustable base. The dual split king savings are up to $1,000 with an adjustable base. $1,000. Guys, head to snoozesleep.com and grab your Snooze Flip mattress today. That's snoozesleep.com. And again, make sure you're using the code DNVR for the big time savings and, you, and get it shipped straight to your door. What's up, guys? Welcome back to the DNVR Draft Podcast presented by DraftKings Sportsbook. I'm Justin Michael. We've got Jake here. We've got Hank here. And we're going to talk about a crazy offseason. The, the theme of today is movement, coaching movement, player movement. There's transfer portal news. There's people declaring early. It's one of the craziest coaching cycles we've seen. A lot to talk about. It's going to be a lot of fun. And at the very end, we're going to talk about bowl season. There's actually the first bowl of the 21-2022 season right now, the Bahamas Bowl. Not really missing a, an exciting one with uh, Toledo and I don't remember who they're playing, but we'll uh, we'll get into Disrespect. it all. I know, I feel bad. I had it pulled <laughs> up so I wouldn't have to do that too. And then I just it went right in my brain and right out. Well, well poor middle Tennessee State. And the I think unexciting plays them soon, like maybe even next year. Huh. There was something notable about them. I think Bama played them. Middle Tennessee? Yeah. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah, that's Not only this year. Come up think, but... Oh, really? Well, maybe that was it. I, I don't know, know, man. This, I isn't, didn't watch this any... isn't good podcast so far. <laughs> <laughs> Only Toledo I watched was when Colorado State slapped that ass, basically. Oh, that's right. That's that's about the only time I watched these two teams. In their house, too. Probably that that might have been the, the peak of the Steve Adazio era, to be honest. <laughs> that or like hanging with Iowa, I guess. I mean, wins over San Jose State and New Mexico don't exactly move the needle. Oh, they Quite. do not. Not like they used to, at least. Yeah, let's 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 talk about it though, because there's a there's a lot of movement when it comes to this coaching carousel. A lot of interesting hires, a lot of good ones. Um, 
I mean, we already kind of talked about Steve Adazio, so I guess let's just briefly talk about CSU because they poach Jay Norvell from Nevada. They've obviously had a big-time offense, the air raid. He ends up taking his entire offensive staff and nine players with him from Nevada. I, I don't think I've ever seen more than two or three players from one school transfer the same one. This is definitely unprecedented, but just real quick, I wanted to kind of get your guys' input. Is this what the future of college football looks like, or is this just a product of it being a unique move with a Mountain West coach going to a Mountain West school, making it easier to take your guys with you? I think that's a big piece of it. I think that if you're, you know, what half the coaches who move are going from G5 to Power 5, you know, or half the G5 coaches who move. And if that's the case, then like if, if Jane Orvell was taking over Oregon, I'm not so sure that he's dead set on keeping so many of his guys, you know, like, like there might be more talent there, but because it's at the same level, because it's like a, what, one hour, hour and a half flight away. So nobody's like moving super far from home or anything like that. Uh, I think that there's just a lot of factors that make it make sense. Um, and there's definitely going to be more of this kind of stuff, but, but I think this is a, definitely an exception to what we'll see. It's a good point. Hank. <clears throat> I want to counter that though with Lincoln Riley, because he basically did the same thing to Oklahoma and uh, that's a pretty far move too, but it seems like this is just like the new way of hiring coaches in college football. You're just essentially gutting the program that you're hiring from because you're going to take the recruits, you're going to take the assistants and it's just, you're basically leaving another program in disarray, which is kind of crazy. Um, on Colorado state though, I think it's a tremendous hire it's something that I, I was from watching this team all year. I was really hoping that they would open it up offensively or at least, I don't know, just be more adventurous with the play calling. And we got this gift in Jay Norvell. So that's pretty awesome, man. Yeah, I'm pumped. I imagine Dante Wright has just got to be thrilled. I mean, Bobo used that dude down the field so much. He was such a weapon and it just didn't really happen. Granted, he was hurt. I mean, you know, being fair, it was kind of a weird year, but. I, I'm definitely pumped to see how it plays out. I feel a little bit bad for Nevada fans, though. I mean, he took the entire offensive staff, nine players, seven projected starters by my estimate. He took uh, like double digits from their recruiting class. I mean, the, the whole thing was crazy. He only ended up signing one guy that was committed under Adazio. There's a couple more that might get signed in a month, but it, it's just a... A really weird time to, to be following college football. It's exciting, but but weird. Uh, Nevada hired Ken Wilson, the Oregon linebackers coach. He coached at Nevada for a long time. I don't know much about him. How have Oregon's linebackers been the last couple of years, Hank? Oregon's linebackers have been really good. I mean, it's always tough because what, Penny Sewell is really good. Or Sorry, Noah Sewell is really good. But also, he's like a 260-pound freak who can run around <laughs> everywhere. And yeah. like the fact that he's potentially... I, mean, I think he's got to be the favorite for Defensive Player of the Year in the Pac-12 next year. How much of that is coaching? How much of that is like he's just a freak athlete? I'm not really sure, but it's going to be fun. Um, it'd be interesting to see who actually recruited him too because if it was Ken Wilson, then that is actually a pretty big get. Mm -hmm. Um 
but yeah, that's it's kind of a damage control hire. I mean, I uh, again, I can't speak too much of it, but it seems pretty okay actually for uh, you know the way that they were just destroyed basically with losing Jay Norvell. Um, it seems like a decent consolation prize. You get someone in there that is actually familiar with the program and stuff, so at least you have some ease and transition to the next era. Yeah, and that, and that recruiting class where Penny Sewell was number two in the country, Justin Flo was number one in the country, and they got him too. Good to know. Yeah, it, it seems like a good hire for Nevada. I mean, he's totally leaned in, said the right things. You know, taking a couple of passive aggressive shots at Norvell for his comments on basically like Nevada not being committed to athletics. The uh, the game in Reno next year is going to be insane. It, it's I'm actually worried it might be like dangerously chippy just because you're going to have Nevada guys that are pissed. You know, it's their old coaches, their old teammates. It's it's crazy. We've never really seen a situation like this. Um, CBS Sports, I think, gave the the Ken Wilson hire like a C plus and they gave the Norvell hire an A minus, which that feels about right. Like if we're kind of comparing the two, um, the other hire in the Mountain West was Jeff Tedford comes back to Fresno State out of retirement after Kalen DeBoer jumps to Washington. And we can talk about the Pac-12 hires after this. I mean, that all things considered pretty good. Tedford never got fired. He stepped down for health reasons. They were rolling, going to back-to-back Mountain West championships when he left. Seems like a, a perfect situation for a program that just got poached by a, by a Power 5 team. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Nice damage control there too. I mean, it's kind of the story of the coaching carousel, right? At some point you do want to hit the home run higher, but at a lot of points you just want to do that damage control and save the program. And, you know, if you're uh, Fresno State, I mean, a group of five teams in general, it, there's definitely pros to getting a home run higher, but the con is that they're probably gone in two, three years anyway. Usually speaking, yeah. The, the retread is a popular option these days, though. It's, it's mm-hmm. interesting to see, to see the schools are, are more comfortable with that. Actually, so much so that I, I have myself wondering, would CSU really you know, give J- Jim McElwain another go? I've been told McElwain was very interested in returning, reached out to the school. They, pretty early on, I think, targeted Norvell and were like, we have our guy. And, and I mean, they didn't even give Alfred an official interview, I don't think. But it's a... Interesting situation in the Mountain West. Let's talk about the Pac-12. Kalen DeBoer, who kind of followed up Tedford's success at Fresno State, goes over to Washington. Feels like a really good hire to me. I mean, he recruits the West Coast really well. That Fresno State team has a ton of talent. They were really competitive. They they went, you know, hung with Oregon on the road, beat UCLA in the Rose Bowl, took down Nevada, a bunch of good teams in the Mountain West. What is the the consensus amongst you know people that follow the Pac-12? Is this viewed as a good hire, or with Lincoln Riley going to USC being you know so flashy, has this one just kind of been overshadowed? Yeah, I don't. I mean, it's it's a good hire for sure. But like you think back to, I mean, the last time they had an outside hire, you've got Chris Peterson coming in from Boise State with all the success that they've had there, and. It's it's just tough to evaluate because Washington has been one of the powers in the Pac-12, but really has not looked good recently. And so, like if this was if this was Cal bringing Kalen DeBoer, then you're like, yeah, this is a good hire. But since it is Washington, it's like, yeah, 
there was a chance that they could go get some, maybe not like huge name, but decently big name at the same time. They could have got Jay Norvell. (laughs) Yeah. At the same time, Kalen DeBoer, like he's been successful. He runs a good offense. Um, He's, he's an up and comer and, and it does feel like it's kind of time for him to take that jump into the power five. And and that's what happens. I think it's a good hire. I think it fits Washington well. Um, but you know, an A is bringing in somebody who's proven or something like that because you you are Washington. You have had success. A bit of drama, <clears throat> a bit of drama with uh, Du Boyer leaving too, because uh, Jake Hayner, I think, briefly entered the transfer portal. Um, and of course, he transferred from Washington. How funny would it be if he actually followed? Uh, Kalen DeBoer back, but he uh, really quickly uh, exited the transfer portal, posted a, an apology to kind of a weird situation. But um, yeah, just kind of funny how that all worked out with the drama between uh, Hayner leaving Washington initially and now it's kind of coming back around. And then Washington brings in Michael Penix Jr. Who is committed. I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, I mean, It'll it'll be fun to watch. Like there's a chance that it goes like he's a he's a starting power five quarterback. He's he's the Teddy Bridgewater power five is where I would rank him. Well, he plays very similarly to Hayner. I think Hayner has a better arm and is honestly just like a, a better playmaker in general, but kind of run around, use your athleticism to improvise, take some shots over the top, you know, stretch the field. Penix can totally do what Hayner did. Yeah, for sure. That's an interesting one. I like that. I think that's a fun move. Um, Dan Lanning, the Georgia defensive coordinator, goes across the country to Oregon after Cristobal gets poached by Miami. One question real quick before we talk about Lanning. Is Miami still a destination job in the eyes of most people? I mean, I I guess it fits for Cristobal, but this is a weird move to me because I feel like Oregon in 2021 is just a better job. I would agree with that. But I think, like you said, for Cristobal, it makes sense. Like, born in Miami, plays football at Miami. He's coached at Miami before. And you, when you go through that, like, you just get that bump. Plus, there's a fact that at this point, it's kind of college football playoff or bust for Oregon. Like, they've, they've done the growth. They've been right there. You either got to do it or, you know, piss or get off the pot. And if he didn't get to the college football playoff, if he didn't make that step in the next two, three years, there would have been some pretty uncomfortable conversations. So it's the Shaka Smart leaving Texas for Marquette move. He's like, you know, I'm just going to dip before you have a chance to to fire me. I'm going to go while my name's still hot. There you go. I yep. mean, leverage is a huge, huge factor in it all, man. Um, this one did. I, I, I'm going to kind of glance over Dan Landing here. Just go to Cristobal. This one felt kind of slimy, though, right? Um, more so than the other ones. This one was... It was weird, a weird situation how it was like the rumors were just floated out there and Cristobal still coaching through the Pac-12 championship game and hasn't really said anything. And then all of a sudden he is actually leaving. This one just felt a little different. Um, but on landing, Oregon seems like a program that kind of recruits itself now at this point. So if he's able to kind of actually play the role of coach and coach on the field, I think it'd be a, a decent hire. Um, but I don't know if we'll see Oregon back in the playoff talk relatively soon. It was a surprising hire to me. I mean, his resume speaks for itself, but I just mean 
Georgia to Oregon, it doesn't feel like a, a traditional move that we would see. You know, it feels like the the natural progression would be he gets poached by an SEC school, maybe an ACC school. I don't know. I mean, what are your thoughts on it, Hank? Um, I mean, it feels kind of similar to going after Cristobal, right? I mean, sure, they brought him in to be the OC and not the head coach initially, but after one year, he gets to be promoted to OC. And before that, he was the assistant head coach at Bama. And so for that reason, I feel like maybe Oregon has a, or a bit of a type, like they know what they want. And that's a, that's an SEC type of guy who can come in and build up in the trenches and do all those sorts of things. Um, I think in general, it's a good hire. Like, I think that if, if you are like a power five school, then going after a coordinator at Bama or Georgia or one of those programs is just like, that's, that's one of the, one of the options that's right there that it's not maybe too exciting because it isn't Lincoln Riley, but it's also, I mean, we those can't guys compare have every hire record. to Lincoln Riley though. Cause most schools aren't throwing out a hundred million dollar deals with private planes and, and million dollar bonuses and a $6 million house. And who's even like Lincoln Riley? Like, like Lincoln right. Riley is like the best Kingsbury, maybe. I don't know if we're talking about flashiness, like what would get people going. I don't think he's necessarily as like innovative or anything like that, but the flash. Yeah, uh, I think it feels like a pretty safe hire for their position. Uh, funny that you mentioned it, though, about... Um, hiring these like Georgia, Alabama OCs just because, I mean, Cle- uh, Clemson lost Brent Venables. I think, didn't they lose their offensive coordinator too? I don't um, know. Yeah, so Elliot, he took the Virginia oh, job. Right. Yep. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, that is interesting you mentioned that. It seems like that's just like a, it's like a de facto promotion position. Now you get a coordinator mm-hmm. position at one of these schools and it's like a year or two at most and you're a head coach somewhere. Yep. CSU went the Alabama Georgia route on back to back hires. Got Jim McElwain and then Mike Bobo. One of yep. those worked out really well. Bobo, honestly, it wasn't like a, a total disaster or anything like that. It just wasn't what they were hoping for. Um, anyways, we've done I was way into the too. woods here. Yeah, true. Right. True. So you don't even necessarily have to be a big SEC school. So I guess I need to change my line of thinking. Um other SEC hires, Brian Kelly goes from Notre Dame to LSU. This one, it uh, it didn't make any sense to me. I don't know. He just feels like the least LSU person of all time. Then he comes in and, and immediately becomes a meme with the fake accent. Like, my family. Um, I don't know. It, it He's a great football coach, but it just it feels like such an odd fit. Did you guys see the video too that like LSU uh, student productions or whatever posted? And it was basically just a bunch of like shots of him on the sideline in Notre Dame gear that they really badly like edited in Photoshop into purple LSU gear. Like interviews that Notre Dame had done. It, it was pretty <laughs> yeah. bad. I think that's another one of him like dancing like LSU, with though. their quarterback commit and he's Ugh. just so awkward. I don't, he's just, he's not Baton Rouge at all. Yeah, we'll see what happens. I'm not. Uh, he's I mean, clearly a better football coach than Orgeron, but yes. they went from the most LSU coach to the least LSU coach. And I I don't know. I just have a hard time seeing him 
out recruit some of you know Georgia and, and Alabama and Florida, which is obviously what's going to be the expectation down there. Maybe I'm selling him short. I don't know. I mean, he's had basically nothing but success everywhere he's been, but I don't know. Right. Yeah. I mean, being able to build basically Cincinnati into what they've end up ended up becoming today. Um, it started with Brian Kelly and then you know, you at Notre Dame, you have to kind of recruit around those academic restrictions. It's obviously a lot more That's a good point. Harder to get into Notre Dame than the LSU. Um, so I from a football and like recruiting standpoint, I actually really like the hire. I think that it's something that LSU has been dying for, a coach that actually like lives and breathes offense and can actually help get that offense really rolling. Um the quarterback's been the big issue at LSU, though. If Brian Kelly can come in and get a stud at quarterback and really stabilize that position, though, I think the the move is really worth it just in that. Well, and he's made some good staff hires already, uh, you know, poaching guys that have deep ties to Louisiana and the state. I'm, I'm drawing a blank on his name, but they hired the McNeese State coach, who's like one of the most revered recruiters in, in Louisiana. So I think he gets that element. Like he's going to need help with people that actually understand the layout of the land and all that, um, which is good because I think that's the downfall of a lot of coaches that go into situations that are culturally much different. You know, they come in thinking, yeah, well, my football, you know, resume, you know, my acumen is, is what's going to make the difference. But there's a lot more than that than being a successful head coach, especially in, you know, the SEC where you have all these cultural elements and the fans are, are just a different breed. Um, Florida hires Billy Napier, though, from Louisiana Lafayette, he had turned down a multiple SEC jobs at this point. I, I really like the hire. I, I respect him a lot. He's a great offensive coach. He's worked under a lot of really good coaches, and it just felt like it was time. Yeah, uh, Billy Napier really impressed me last year. Uh, <clears throat> weird COVID year, obviously, but Louisiana was really good last year. Um, led by Elijah Mitchell, a guy who was a, like a seventh round pick and comes in and really makes a difference for the 49ers. So uh, he can really recruit, obviously, um, at least at the running back position. Uh, but yeah, just impressed by Louisiana. I do like the hire too. I do think Florida was a bit hasty in getting rid of Dan Mullen, but that's a talk for another day. Yeah, I mean, it's it's really solid. I mean, that's one of those names that we've been throwing around for a few years. And it was just time for him to get a, a job. And when you wait that long, you get a good job. But I think that it, it's a pretty good, I think it makes sense, right? Like he was going to wind up with one of those SEC jobs and Florida fits. I think it's a good precedent for other up-and-coming coaches at the G5 level to consider when you do have a program that can actually be competitive. For instance, if you're the San Diego State basketball coach, it's like, dude, you're com- you're recruiting with Pac-12 schools anyways, with elite basketball schools. You have an easier path to success don't jump for just anything. Obviously there's always a dream job, a job that's better than the one you have, but you know, for Napier, it wasn't like, well, I could go to Missouri, but am I going to have success there? He waited it out. He, he got the one that felt like, all right, this is the, the place I have a chance to have legitimate success. And I don't know. I just think so many of these coaches learn very quickly that the grass is rarely greener and Florida's a crazy job with absurd expectations. I mean, they fired McElwain after going back-to-back SEC championships. Mullen basically had one bad year, and he was out. But it, it sounds like it was more from a recruiting standpoint. He didn't really like to recruit, and that's kind of what pissed the boosters off. Anyways, just a, a, a weird situation in general. 
Uh, I think we pretty much nailed most of that. Oh, we got to talk about uh, Brent Venables going from Clemson to Oklahoma. Nice hire. I feel like Dabo kind of feels like the wheels are falling off. He kind of seems to be spinning when it comes. He's, I don't know, just made a lot of really weird public comments, not really handling the pressure very well. Yeah, 100%. Kind of uh, falling apart a little bit. Um, You know, he lost his mind when NIL kind of went through, but now he's really starting to feel the heat, losing both coordinators. Um, On Benables, though, of course, he was on Stoop's staff um, from 99 to 2011. So a really nice hire. The peak of OU in the modern era. Right. So when you lose the guy that was... um, I don't know. He could really do no wrong in Lincoln Riley. This was a pretty nice hire in terms of kind of recovering from that. We'll see if he's able to keep the, I'm more interested to see who he hires as offensive coordinator. I haven't kept up, so I don't know who that is um, just because that's who Oklahoma is. And I'm interested to see if they're able to keep up that MO um, that they built for themselves. And I kind of like how they did it because like if you bring in an offensive head coach, he's not going to be Lincoln Riley. He's just not. So go get yourself one of the best defensive coordinators in the country. Give him this job. Let him build on a defense that, I guess, Alex Grinch left, right? He's at USC too. And so you you just have to take over. And I think that at the very least, you should be able to stabilize that and you should be able to improve it. And then that means you also have the potentially a top three, top five offensive coordinator job in the country just because the offense is really good and it shouldn't take too much to keep it on track. And you're not going to find Lincoln Riley out there, but you've created a very desirable position. And I, th- I think that it's a smart approach. Well, the OU is kind of like Oregon in a sense where it basically sells itself. I mean, mm-hmm. if you've watched college football for the last 25 years, Oklahoma has been one of the most prominent country or teams in the country. You know, their offense mm-hmm. is always electric. That's just easy to sell, especially in Texas and, you know, all the, all the places that they recruit heavily. Uh, Marcus Freeman gets promoted defensive coordinator and head coach. I really like this one. I, it seems like Notre Dame was hesitant to make the move, but I don't know. I know some of that social media stuff is overrated, but he uh, he has me fired up. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I'd like that move too. Kind of a, another damage control one, but Marcus Freeman, <clears throat> you know, you look at JOK, Kyle Hamilton, the defenders that he's had to play with over the years, and he's been really creative in his defenses. Um, so I think keeping him in-house it was huge um, and a win in that alone. And then moving him to head coach, I think, is a nice move. Um, we'll see if they're able to keep up this recruiting trail. Like I mentioned with Brian Kelly, that was kind of the thing that really set him apart from previous hires at Notre Dame. Um, if Freeman's able to keep it up um, on the trail, then Notre Dame will be okay. Yeah. I mean, Notre Dame is another one of those schools that could pull like the go get Lincoln Riley move or whatever the equivalent is like if they wanted to just go get Sark, I don't know, maybe that's even tougher with the contract, but, but they could have done something really flashy. And so you can't like, can't say it's a home run hire, but at the same time, they got a good young coach added stability to, to what's going on. And it's worth a run at least for a year or two. And then if you need to make a change, then who knows who's out there? Maybe you can blow a bunch of money. That's the thing. I th- that's why I think this was actually a smarter move just in, in terms of a continuity standpoint. The players seem to really like him, so you're not going to get you know totally gutted from a transfer portal perspective. The other coaches seem to like him, so you might be able to keep a lot of the staff intact. I mean, you've been a team that's been in the college football playoff or close to it 
basically every year for the last, you know, six years. I don't know. I, I kind of like the the thought of we don't need to necessarily panic. Let's just kind of try and keep go, keep this going, what we've already established. Um, but yeah, that's that's most of the significant hires. Brent Pry goes from Penn State to Virginia Tech. That's a pretty good hire. Uh, Virginia pulls Tony Elliott, Clemson offensive coordinator. Another good hire. Mike Elko, the Texas A&M DC, he is Duke's hire. There were some rumors that Jason Garrett might be in the in the mix, but I think this was a much better decision. <laughs> I, I, I wonder if Davo Sweeney is the next big domino. Like if next year, because Clemson is not what it was. And I mean, it would be tough too when you had Deshaun Watson and then Trevor Lawrence. But maybe this is a situation where you say, I can cash in and just get a huge deal. His coordinators are leaving and maybe it's a coincidence that after however long they've been there, this is the time that they'd say, ah, it might be, might be the, the chance to move on and see what's out there. I, uh, I wonder if, if somebody throws a bunch of money at Dabo next year. You know, no Jaguars name, example, things don't go well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah Raiders point, might Hank. need a coach. Mm-hmm. Um, Clemson's really on my radar, though, for the 2022 season, just because it really can all fall apart. Uh, DJ really didn't kind of live up to the building. The offensive line is still in shambles. Uh, Justin Ross declared early, so you're losing one of your best offensive weapons. You lose your defensive coordinator. Um, it, the wheels could fall off really quickly next year, and Dabo could potentially melt down if this team just starts losing like crazy. Yep. I can't stand that dude's shtick, dude. He's just one of those guys that. that's thrived in the system forever. And then the minute that something goes against him, he, you know, all of a sudden he's very critical. Urban Meyer was very similar that way when he was in college football, though. So I guess uh, pretty common with people that are entitled. Uh, football fans, I'm sure we all love an action packed, high scoring NFL game with the latest no brainer from DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. You're going to be a winner once a single point is scored. New customers who bet just $1 on any team to score are going to win $100 in free bets when they do. It's that simple. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. You can also get some skin in the game with the same game parlay. I have been really successful lately with the Broncos doing Javante Williams scoring his rushing yards. Simple stuff like that. You know, you don't necessarily have to pick the outcome of the game. Bet on players that you're confident in. The, uh, the whole point, though, is combining multiple bets from the same game for a bigger payout. The more legs you add, the more you win. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. Best of all, you can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. Download the top bit of DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use the promo code DNBR. Bet $1 on any team to score. Win 100 when they do. They score. You score with the promo code DNVR at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older, Colorado-only, new customers-only, restrictions to apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. Also, Green Mountain Dental Group. Uh, if you guys need your teeth cleaned and you're in the Denver metro area, no better option than Green Mountain Dental Group. Uh, they will take care of you. They take care of a bunch of us. And uh, the, the way that they do it is by trying to uh, make you feel at home by talking about Colorado sports. They're huge fans. That's why they advertise with us. That's why we like supporting them. And uh, again, they do great work. It's a family-owned dentistry. It's 15 minutes away from downtown Denver and Lakewood. And if you schedule a cleaning, x-ray, and exam, you can get yourself a free Sonicare toothbrush. 
It's a great deal. So definitely get in there. Definitely take advantage of that. And then definitely let us know how it goes so that we can uh, tell more of our listeners that every single time somebody goes in there, they leave happy. Love it. Love it. Love it. Shout out to Green Mountain Dental. Shout out to DraftKings. Shout out to all of our partners over at DNVR. It's uh, There's been a lot of coaching movement. There's been a lot of player movement like we already talked about earlier. CSU takes nine players from Nevada. Lincoln Riley takes a bunch of Oklahoma people with him. It's, it's the era of player movement, and it's exciting. You feel bad for some of the fan bases, but, I mean, schools have always had the power to pull player scholarships at any point. Coaches have always had the power to leave at a dime. Makes sense that it's kind of evening out. Spencer Rattler, though, goes from Oklahoma to South Carolina. Maybe did he not like realize it was the wrong USC. He, he was supposed to go to the, the one in California. Um, I don't know. It feels like a good move. South Carolina's offense has been pretty exciting these last couple of years. Gives him a chance to kind of reinvent his brand at a, at a power program, a program where if you compete well, you're going to be significant, but you're not going to be so much in the spotlight. Like if he would have went, you know, to Auburn or, you know, Florida or something like that. All in all, it feels like a pretty good move. Yeah. I think, this was one that was kind of hard to predict, but the outcome makes a lot of sense. Um, well put. Power five school, not one of the, like, you know, Oklahoma obviously didn't want him. Alabama's not going to want him. Like, Auburn, who knows? Maybe they would have. But, but you weren't going to land one of those top jobs. You know, USC would much rather go with Jackson Dart than bring in Spencer Rattler. And so this was just kind of that next tier below where it's good schools. He gets a chance to, to prove himself. And on top of that, you've got Shane Beamer there, who was one of the guys who recruited him to uh, Oklahoma in the first place. So I, th- I think it all makes a lot of sense. And he wasn't going to drop to G5, but he also wasn't going to be at Notre Dame or Ohio State. Right. <clears throat> I think you're spot on, Hank. I thought that... Um... When he announced that he was transferring, I was thinking that obviously he was going to have to take a step back from Oklahoma, but I was thinking more like G5, maybe you find a Pac-12 school or something. Um, But man, South Carolina, that's pretty solid for him. Um, They've had a track record of having receivers go through there. I don't know if they have anyone there now. Um, You look at the stats from last year. I mean, it doesn't look bad on paper. Obviously, he got benched for a reason. Um, but he was completing 75% of his passes. Uh, so we'll see if that's able to, to kind of continue to South Carolina. Um, but I was impressed. I think that's a, a nice landing spot for him and a nice place to kind of save his career potentially. Mm-hmm. And that's one of those things that like Colorado fans, when I tweeted, like when he entered the portal, it's like, well, Colorado better throw an offer in. And a lot of them were saying, no, we don't want him. It's like, I yeah, get, right. I get that he got benched, but you got to remember all the other things he did. Like, it's not like he was horrible this season. It's that it's Oklahoma, and there's always somebody who can play near-perfect football right there. And Spencer Rattler has done so many good things and obviously has the talent. Like, he was at one point in the conversation for being the number one overall pick and not, you know, like hyperbole. People actually believe that he had the tools to do it. Maybe he goes down and reinvents himself. I mean, sometimes... Sometimes it's just a weird situation. A couple of quarterbacks that are in the transfer portal that have not announced where they're going. Bo Nix from Auburn. The the Bo Nix era is done as an Alabama fan. Thank God. I'm so tired of playing this dude. Um, 
Adrian Martinez leaves Nebraska, another end of an era. Both of these quarterbacks feel like they've been playing for their respective teams for like 20 years. And I know the COVID stuff gives everybody another year, but I don't know how either of those guys still have eligibility, but I'll be interested to see uh, where they end up. I'll also be interested to see what those schools do, whether it's somebody that's next in line or if they recruit heavy Sounds like Dylan Gabriel from UCF is going to visit Ole Miss based on the reports. That feels like a pretty good fit. I think, didn't Dylan Gabriel... So, Adrian Martinez actually is going to Kansas State. Oh, that's oh, a good okay. fit. Dylan Gabriel will run around UCLA. Yeah. Oh, that's where he announced? Yeah. That oh, was yesterday. Wow. Uh, I don't like that fit. It's just interesting because they've had Dorian Thompson Robinson before, who's a runner. Right. And so right. you don't really know what it's going to look like. But, I mean, he's a good quarterback, and it's an offense that was successful. And they got – I mean, I guess they lose those running backs, but it seems like they always have somebody there. Well, going back to before COVID, Dylan Gabriel was a guy who was really kind of picking up uh, <clears throat> steam in, like, draft circles and scouting circles as a guy who could uh, come in and become at least a developmental, if not potentially a quarterback down the line in the NFL. Um, also, Zach Calzada from Texas A&M has entered the transfer portal, too. So plenty of quarterback movement going around. We didn't even mention Quinn Ewers going from Ohio State to Texas. Um, insane. Keaton Quinn Smokers. Ewers better be like the next Vince Young or Texas fans are going to eat that dude alive. Dude, I'm not betting on anybody with that haircut. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm not. I'm not. Um, you don't like the Joe Dirt look? Uh, no, no, I do not. <laughs> Keaton Slovis to Auburn was the big rumor yesterday. That feels like a weird fit, too. Yeah. I mean, a what, lot of oh. Pac-12 guys going east now. I mean, we got JT Daniels going out to Georgia. That's I don't know. It's like one of those things, I guess, that 15 years ago would have been really weird. But now you can just kind of end up anywhere. Yeah. In the same way, it's weird that yeah. CJ Stroud left the USC footprint for Ohio State and the Bryce Young left USC's footprint for Alabama, but that's just the world we live in at this point. Lincoln yeah. like, Riley might be able to change it, though. Yeah, right. I mean, he's got um, Jackson Dart. There's a reason Slovis wants out. We've kind of clowned on Dabo a bit, but he's right, man. It's, it's free agency. It's kind of like the Wild West in college football now. No one really knows what's going on. It's entertaining, though. Hell yeah, it is. Definitely. I think we pretty much nailed most of the quarterbacks. Uh, we already talked about Penix going from Indiana to Washington. Uh, Clay Millen, former four-star, goes from Nevada to CSU. I'm trying to get all the CSU hype in while I still can, but I mean, that is significant. That's a guy that was at one point committed to Arizona, recruited by CU pretty heavy. Mm-hmm. The heir apparent to Carson Strong, assumingly will start for CSU next year. Um, Tory Horton as well, wide receiver, came over with him, was going to be their number one wide out. Eli Ricks goes from LSU to Alabama. I wonder how much of this has to do with Brian Kelly. I wonder how much of this just has an opportunity to play under Nick Saban, but a big move nonetheless. Yeah, if if you're a cornerback and you, if Nick Saban says, "Come start for me," and you're you're gonna do if it. you you do literally anything in football, and Nick Saban says, "Come start for me," then the answer is yes. Let me do that because you're going to be in the NFL in 12 months. Right. Um, just interesting though. I mean, going back a year last year, I remember watching Eli Ricks. I think he was, he was a freshman or true freshman 
um, last year. And I was impressed by his play. And then, I mean, I know Stingley didn't have a good year, but Eli Ricks got burnt a few times this year too. Um, so, you know, he's kind of trying to save his uh, future draft stock in a way by going to Alabama and could not have picked a better move really to, for that reason, to save his draft stock. I'm going to be very interested to see if he's able to kind of clean it up though. I mean, obviously Saban is a, a DB coach uh, through and through, but um, he got burnt a couple times pretty badly this year. I think it's just interesting to see how little loyalty these players actually have to their schools. I think college football gets romanticized from the fans in a sense where they all believe that these players care about their schools as much as they do. And that's just rarely the case. Like, there are people like that. I mean, we were lucky locally that we had somebody like Trey McBride at CSU. If you're looking at CU, you, you know, you had a couple of linebackers and Landman and Carson Wells that were very dedicated, but it's not, it's just not the norm. I mean, we had nine players go from Nevada to CSU. Nevada beat CSU 52 to 10 two weeks ago. Like now they're jumping over to their team. It's just a, it's, it's kind of disheartening. It bums me out, but it's also a lot easier to watch all this when you have that understanding that it is just a business and that these players are just going to do what's best for their own interest. And while that's kind of disappointing in a romanticized college football aspect, it's also just kind of makes a lot of sense. Yeah. It's a business. And so now we just let it be a business, which is nice. It's fun to not like lie about it though. You know what I mean? I feel like for a long time, college football was kind of like, Everybody knew it, but you couldn't really acknowledge it. And now I think we're to the point where everybody's like, you want to know what? It's big money. We all hate the NCAA. The coaches do what they want. The players should do what they want. Let's just enjoy the game when we can. Yeah. Football, I man. I feel like I don't lose anything from this. Like, I'm cool with it. Like, maybe it's just because the Buffs haven't lost anybody who really matters. But it's just like, eh, there's... Why not? Like, yeah, from an off-season content perspective, it's it's gold. I mean, it's it gives you something to talk about year-round, which I think the NCAA likes. Exactly. Sure. And as someone who obviously really loves the draft and just, like, the team-building aspect of the sport, seeing all this movement and watching programs kind of take different directions overnight is really entertaining. I mean, I love this stuff, seeing how... Um, these new coaches come in and try and kind of put their footprint in on the program right away. Um, it's interesting as hell to me. Yeah. It's like, do you really want Keaton Slovis on the bench? Like, do you want Spencer Rattler on the bench? Like, no, this is right. the, the way markets work. Like the counter <laughs> is every now and then you get somebody like Jalen Hurts who stays and then the quarterback gets hurt and he comes in and saves the day. And then it's, but then, I mean, he still ended up leaving in the end. Yeah. So I guess, I don't know. It still comes full circle. Um, players that have declared. I just kind of put a list together. I think a couple of these guys are technically seniors, but because of COVID, it's wonky and they still have to declare because they could have came back. Um, Matt Corral at Ole Miss, unsurprising. Kyron Williams running back at Notre Dame. Isaiah Spiller running back at AM, Max Borgie running back at Washington State. And Kenneth Walker, just a couple of significant names. Not a lot of early quarterback declares so far. Kenny Pickett declared, but again, I think he was a senior. I'm not sure if he had another year left or not. He's been there a long time. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Some of these guys, I'm like, it, how did they still have eligibility? But um, Kyron Williams and Max Borgie, 
are a couple of guys that really intrigue me. Yeah, Kyron Williams, especially. I think his game is tailor-made for the NFL. I think he's a three-down back, um, has almost as good of receiving ability as he is as a runner. Um, he's going to be someone that's going to make an NFL team really, really happy this next coming year. Yeah. Hank, what are your thoughts on Borgie? Just because, like, for instance, could you pair him with somebody like Javante Williams, just given his abilities as a receiver, really athletic in the open field, kind of like a poor man's Kristen McCaffrey. I mean, I know he's not, I know he's not McCaffrey, but he has a very similar skill set. Yep. He does. The, Disappointing part is he just didn't really show that this year. I mean, what he almost 600 receiving yards in 2019, and then he gets hurt last year. And this year it's 176 receiving yards, which is still like solid, but, or sorry, that's wrong. 156 receiving yards. Um, it, you know, he can do it though. Like you see running backs who don't catch the ball all that much and they get to the NFL and they catch the ball and make plays out of the backfield. So, you know, he can do it. I was really excited about Borgie coming into this year. It's not like he had a bad year or anything like what five and a half yards for carry 880 yards, 12 touchdowns. But I, I did think that he was going to be capable of more. Still though, he's like someone, you bring him in pair him, there's a chance that he just explodes. He's someone who's just had his stock really completely destroyed over the past two years. I mean, obviously COVID really hurt a lot of people. Um, and then the situation this year with his head coach and just, that program in disarray, it's it's really going to be interesting how he's perceived by the NFL and how he goes through this evaluation process. It's almost like if you're going to evaluate his tape, you really have to just go off of 2018 and 2019 when Leach was still there because it's just been in disarray the last couple of years for him. He's going to test through the roof at the Combine because he's just a freaky athlete. Let's I don't know. I'm excited help. about him. He's one of the more exciting high school players I've ever watched in person. So I'd probably have a soft spot for him just watching him at Pomona and then going to Washington State. Um, a beast, not surprising that Kenneth Walker comes out after the season that he had. I, obviously, we're going to have to see how what his numbers look like and all that. But where do you see him end up being, Jake? Like a second, third round pick? Yeah, I think he top 100 for sure. I mean, he really showed that he's just a natural runner. His instincts and ability to kind of read defenses is really what had the or what kind of engineered this spectacularly spectacular year from him um but yeah it's going to be interesting to see just how the testing and everything goes if he goes to an all-star game um this he's kind of just capitalizing on the big year right i mean kudos to him this is how you really kind of play the game in college football you have a big year especially at a position like running back where not really known as a, a long career in the nfl when you play at that position um, you got to do stuff like this, man, when you're running back in college football. Who's your guys' running back one at this point? Brees Hall? Is it still Isaiah Spiller just because he's built like an NFL back? I like Spiller a lot. I I'm, I tell you, man, I really like Kyron Williams. I don't know yeah. if he's running back one, but he's easily top three for me. He's kind of Javante-like. Um, <clears throat> He is, and his receiving ability, too. I think his, that's going to be something that really pushes him over the top in these next few months. Um, he's going to be a name that really explodes, I think, as we get closer to the draft. I think you're right with that. Uh, another guy I think that's going to explode is wide receiver Traylon Burks of Arkansas. He declared, as did Justin Ross. We already talked about that. I'm really excited about both of these guys because I think their talent just really translates to the next level. 
Yeah, I need to. I haven't. I didn't watch too much Clemson this year after the Georgia game. Really, I mean, they kind of fell well, they off were my very radar. Fun. Yeah. Right. So I, it, I'm going to be very interested to go back and watch his tape to see if he's still the player that I remember from the what was it, eight 2018 championship game? I can't remember exactly. 2018 or 2019, yeah. Yeah, but Traylon Burks is a stud. He's going to be another guy that can't wait for testing with him because it is going to be off the charts. He's kind of in that Demarius mold. So big, right. so fast. And then the other receiver, I mean, Drake London, to me still, if, if I got one guy out of this draft, I, I want Drake London. At six you. foot five, and he had 88 catches in eight games. Like just the, 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 he's putting up slot receiver numbers and it's just incredible. Like he has all this underneath stuff and then everybody remembers all the big plays too. I mean, he also did what he did against Colorado, like single-handedly went and won that game, which changes things. But I, uh, that's going to be a really special player. I'm better Michael Pittman. Right. I mean, that's, I've been comparing him to Michael Pittman for two years now, man. He Mm -hmm. looks exactly like him. Um, He's just dominant, man. The ability to win Pac-12 Offensive Player of the Year and put up those numbers after seven games is unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. And just those contested catches, you know, there are some things that just that translate and his ability to just moss people is, is going to be one of those things. Uh, Trey McBride, another guy that makes contested catches, he declares as well. John Mackey Award winner, first unanimous All-American in Colorado State history. Really hope he ends up being a first-round pick. We'll see how it all play, plays out. But he's a guy that I don't see slipping further than, you know, like 50. He's he's finally been picking up that steam. Um, you know, these mock draft sites have finally moved him out of like the 300s and 200s, which was ridiculous to begin with. Uh, I know I kept getting bad have... grades on those mock drafts when I take him in like the fourth round and I'd just be right. cursing up the storm. <laughs> like, this would be a great pick. Yeah, he's gonna he's gonna be a guy that's uh he'll really rise throughout this pre-draft process. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how he tests. It's a good point. Like, I, I'm I'm really curious. I have no idea. He he moves well. I think he'll do good on you know three cone and stuff like that. I don't see him running, you know, like a four or five forty or anything like that. He's one of those guys that he runs well in in the open field, but he's not, you know, like a burner or anything like that. But you don't have to be at the tight end position. Um, little little prediction time here. How about Watermeyer comes in? He's going to come in and test off the charts, and you're going to see a lot of people saying, "Oh, this guy's like the next Kyle Pitts," and then McBride is going to end up being the steal of the draft. Um, you know, Watermeyer, I don't want to say it, but I have a feeling that Watermeyer actually might be drafted over him just because of those reasons. Um, would be interesting to keep track of though as we move forward. Mm-hmm. Oh man, I'll be so salty. I'll be so salty. <laughs> I can imagine it already. <laughs> uh, a couple of defensive ends, no surprise on any of these. Kayvon Thibodeau and George Karlaftis and Jermaine Johnson the second at Florida State, the former Georgia player. All productive guys this season, all going to be drafted fairly high, I think. Um, yeah, I mean, pretty much speaks on. Oh, and Zach Carter at Florida, again, another senior who could have came back, but decides to forego the COVID year. Carl Aftis, I haven't said this yet, but he does kind of give me Broncos vibes. Like, like he feels like a throwback to the Orange Crush era. Like, you put him on the field, you you play him. Like, there's, there, he, there's something he does on every play. I think maybe that's what I like about him. 
Like, like you want him as the defensive end when you're stopping the run. Great. You want to put him inside so that Bradley Chubb or Vaughn Miller, or if either of those guys even are around at this point, the, like there's a, you can put him inside too. Like, I don't know. Just there's something about that guy that makes me think that is a football player who feels like a Bronco. Yeah. Um, I, I think if the Broncos ended up with him this year, it'd feel kind of like the certain pick from last year a bit, maybe not as flashy, but just getting an awesome football player that at this point he would have had to fall to get to the Broncos. Cause I think he's going to end up yeah. being a top 10 pick and it doesn't seem like the Broncos are going to be picking that high. Land him, then you go get Aaron Rodgers or Russell Wilson, and all of a sudden they're Super Bowl team. Oh, uh, stop. <laughs> go full Chris Collins word now. Here's a guy who's going to change oh, the whole landscape of this organization. Um, <laughs> Kyle Hamilton, Notre Dame safety, declares unsurprising. Haven't seen a ton of young DBs entering the draft at this point yet. Um, like, I haven't seen the LSU guys yet, but I'm, I'm sure they are. Um, but Kyle Hamilton, I, I love this dude. Again, another guy where I don't know if he really fits what Denver does moving forward, but he does kind of feel like he could be a replacement for Kareem Jackson. Yeah, I mean, there we haven't talked about this at all, but there's a real chance that they need to replace Kareem Jackson quickly. Like, not many people return for their age 34 season, and that's kind of feels like what it's what's been the expectation for Kareem Jackson. And this this could be a situation where, I mean, you, you get Pat Sertan, you have a bunch of ammo. Do you trade up for Kyle Hamilton if you're put in that situation because you know you can just go get a stud? It'd be a lot of fun, I tell you that much. Um, and <clears throat> to that point, the writing was kind of on the wall uh, in the last offseason with Kareem Jackson, right? I mean, he was obviously cut um, and then brought back. Um, so I think they they had to have looked at options and replacing him. Um, it probably just didn't really seem at the time that they were going to be able to get the production out of him that they got this year, because he's obviously still showing that he can play um, if he wants to play and if his body's able to play. But yeah, if, you, if they got Kyle Hamilton, man, this defense would be a lot of fun after kind of, I don't want to say they missed out on JOK last year, but I think they would have had a lot of fun if they had JOK in this defense. Kyle Hamilton needs to go like smoke some weed before the draft or something, <laughs> but find a way to slip like five spots. So, the, so he's at least within like the Broncos trade up range. <laughs> Say something really just horrible. I don't Say you know. something horrible. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We'll forgive you, Kyle. When you land in Denver, we promise it's, it's strategic move. We, we understand you're thinking big picture. Um, exactly. Speaking of big picture though, you, the holiday season is coming up. You do not want to miss out on what our friends over at manscaped.com are offering. You can get the performance package 4.0. Manscaped is, of course, the worldwide leaders of below the waist grooming. The lawn for uh, the lawn mower, excuse me, 4.0 is here to take your defense to the next level. It's got advanced skin safe technology, so no nicks, no cuts. You know, you can trim around your sensitive area and not worry about hurting yourself, even with a 7,000 RPM motor. It's got a 4K LED spotlight. It's waterproof. It charges fast. This bad boy is badass. They also have the weed whacker, which is for your nose. If you're like me, you're starting to get old. Notice those nose hairs. It is unsettling. I, I don't like it. And so that's why I'm very thankful for the weed whacker. They've got liquid formulations, which is, you know, they've got a crop preserver. They've got ball deodorant. These are game changers, guys. If, if it's going to be a day where you're walking around, maybe you're Christmas shopping at the mall, you want to keep things nice and comfortable down there throw some ball deodorant on. And then when you get home, 
you throw some crop reviver on, keep things nice and fresh. Go to manscaped.com, use the code DNVR. You're going to get 20% off plus free shipping. Do not miss out this holiday season. Everybody wants a, uh, a trimmer for their balls for Christmas. I mean, I can't think of anything better to give, especially to like a close family member, you know, do it in front of the rest of your relatives, mm. make sure everybody's watching silent. I mean, you want to show this bad boy off. It's a great gift. Manscaped.com. Use that code DNVR. All right. Let's, uh, let's talk about the bowl season. Like we said, the Bahamas bowl is going on right now. We don't really have any thoughts on Toledo other than they lost to CSU last year, which means they, they couldn't be very good. I mean, CSU lost to Vanderbilt. So, um, <laughs> I'm so glad this football season is over. What uh, what bowl games kind of stand out to you guys? Because we were before the show, we were talking about you know a lot of these games aren't that interesting. Fresno State versus UTEP in the New Mexico Bowl could be kind of intriguing. I don't really know what to expect with Fresno State now that you know they lost their coach. I don't know if Hayner's going to play because he's staying at Fresno State. Weird deal. How about uh? What about the Radiance Technologies Independence Bowl? We talked about it a little bit uh, before the show. BYU, UAB, BYU only favored by six and a half. Guys. I'll tell you, anytime that I have an opportunity to watch the Independence Bowl in Shreveport, Louisiana, <laughs> I am chomping at the bids. And when you get a team like UAB, I mean, their mascot's a dragon, which is awesome. So they've oh, got yeah. that going for them. <laughs> And I just really can't stand BYU. So I might, I might watch that one just to root against them and hope that the, the home field advantage plays a factor for UAB. Though I imagine BYU fans probably travel pretty well. Probably. Nobody is sitting out for BYU. Plus, they're getting three starters back from injury. So you're saying tank the points. Easily. Yeah. What is happening? Why is this only a six and a half point spread? Yeah. Sheesh. This game is happening tomorrow, by the way. Free money. I am pumped, guys. I'm also pumped for the Jimmy Kimmel Los Angeles Bowl. (laughs) The the revered Jimmy Kimmel Los Angeles Bowl. I can't, I mean, I can't remember, or I can't wait to uh, be sitting with my grandkids years from now talking about the great college football bowl games of all time. You know, the Orange Bowl, the Boise State, Oklahoma Upstate, the, the Fiesta Bowl, and of course, the Jimmy Kimmel Los Angeles Bowl between Utah State and Oregon State. Um, Utah State is a, a touchdown underdog, and I really love their offense. I just I know Oregon State can run the football, but I have a feeling that they're going to have a tough time keeping up with Utah State's explosiveness. They really put it on a really talented San Diego State defense in the Mountain West Championship game. It feels like this team is rolling at the right moment, but a report did come out this morning that Blake Anderson is being investigated by the university for some off-putting comments on sexual assault. So we'll see how that kind of impacts the team. We'll see if he's even coaching in the game. It wouldn't be shocking if he gets put on administrative leave. If they have their coach, if they have their team, though, I, I like Utah State to win that game, and you can get it at like plus 240. Yeah, I think this is going to be a good game. I think that's... I mean, Oregon State is really good. They aren't, I mean, again, we're comparing it to what Oregon State has been in the past, but they were within single digits of Oregon at the end of the year. They they beat Arizona State at the end of the year. They manhandled Stanford. 
somehow CU snuck in there and beat them in overtime before all that happened. But I, uh, this is a good team, but I think Utah state, like you said, that offense is pretty good too. Um, seven points is a lot. Oh, I'm going Oregon state. Like they're just so big and so physical and they're playing so well. Yeah. Seven points is I think a bit tough, but what Justin said about the, the head coaching situation kind of swayed me already. Um, it seems that Utah State um, on the ground defensively has been okay. They've only allowed 162 yards on the season, um, averaged, of course. So, you know, you're kind of getting a strength on strength uh, matchup here um, on that side of the ball when Oregon State's on offense. Um, given what Justin said, though, I think I will take the, the minus seven. From an NFL draft perspective, Justin Rice, the Utah State linebacker, Really fun to watch. They've also got an explosive wide receiver, Devin Tompkins, and uh, Savon Scarver, one of the best kick returners in the nation. So just in the theme of the draft pod, if you're watching it, from that perspective, there actually is some some pretty decent talent on the Utah State side. I'm sure Oregon State has a few guys as well. I Honestly, I, the CU game was the only time I saw them. So I, I was not very impressed by them. But um, <laughs> they, uh, if hanging with Oregon is, is something, so is beating ASU. The uh, Frisco Bowl in Frisco, Texas, we've got 12-1 and UTSA versus 11-2 San Diego State. Not a luxurious bowl, but in terms of two competitive G5 teams, kind of an, an intriguing matchup. I mean, San Diego State, they're an 8-10 to win seat team most years. This would be the, the first time they've ever won 12 games. I like that they have something to play for. And you have UTSA, who is kind of like everybody's darling this year, so I don't even like rooting against them, but I'm a Mountain West guy. I don't know. I might watch it just to see kind of how UTSA tries to run the ball against this San Diego State defense. Yeah, I'm interested to see here, really, if San Diego State shows up. I mean, they got their asses whooped in the Mountain West Conference title game. So if they're able to bounce back from that, I really do like them at plus two. Um, a little bit of a scary spot, I guess, given the fact that they did get the doors blown off them a couple of weeks ago. Um, but I, from what I remember, I think San Diego state's been getting points quite frequently this year. Um, and I did take them quite a few times and was quite profitable doing so. I haven't watched any UTSA, so I'm, I have nothing on that side. Yeah. Well, they, their star running back sincere McCormick is not going to play in the bowl game. He's declaring for the NFL draft and he was kind of what made that whole engine work. It set up the play action. He hit a bunch of home run runs this year. I don't know. I just I believe in the San Diego State team. They've got really good talent in the secondary. Their defensive line is stout, and they can always run the football well, which you know that benefits you in these type of games. Yeah, I'm all in on San Diego State. There's just I feel like there's just a it's one of those tier differences in level of play. It's right. like it's San Diego State versus UTSA. I've got to take San Diego State. Oh, well put. And I just think that. When everyone is out on San Diego State, that's when you should lean in, especially football. And I mean, basketball is the same deal. They're going up against a Pac-12 team. You know, if they're plus 200 underdogs, bet San Diego State. They just, they're a pesky team. They win when you count them out. And I, I think winning 12 games actually does matter a lot to this team. We shall see. Army versus Missouri in the Armed Forces Bowl in Texas. I mean, you can't go against Army in the Armed Forces Bowl, I don't think. <laughs> sure. I'll take Army. Good point. Yeah, I'm taking Army, man. Um, kind of conflicting styles here with the spread of Missouri and obviously the triple option of Army. So that'll be fun. Um, it's just so hard 
kind of going up against this triple option when you're in these kind of fast offenses, right? A three and out is just absolutely killer in a game like this. So I'm going to take Army. Well, I know they just lost to Navy and didn't look very good in that game, but those those games amongst the service academies are they're always going to be competitive. I mean, it, it means so much to those teams, and that was Navy's Super Bowl this year. So again, it kind of feels like a perfect opportunity. Everyone else is out on Army. That's when you lean in. They're going against a mediocre SEC team. I will say, Missouri's really screwed me from a betting perspective this year. Like I, I bet on them to cover against bad teams a couple times. They didn't do it. And I bet against them with good teams and they screwed me the other way. I just, I don't, I don't have a very good read on them. Florida versus UCF in the Gasparilla Bowl in Tampa, Florida. Tampa, only about 80 miles from Orlando, which is where UCF is. I mean, I'm sure there'll be plenty of Florida fans as well. I like UCF as the team going against the in-state rival. This game matters a whole lot more to them than if you're Florida, where it's just like, "Eh, who cares? Um, a bit interesting here. We didn't mention him earlier, but Emory Jones also entered the transfer portal. So I think that opens the door for, um, oh man, help me out here. Richardson, I think is his name. The Mm -hmm. other quarterback that was playing. So it opens the door for him to really get some good playing time in, um, Florida six and a half favorites. Who's coaching them, man. I, what's going on here. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know who their intern is. I haven't really watched. I haven't watched any UCF. I've barely seen Florida. And so this is another one where it's like, if I see UCF and I see Florida, I know it's six and a half points. I know there's weird things happening, but give me, give me Florida. Yeah. I these think SEC one... teams just have a tendency to, to not show up in these non, you know, major bowl games. But That's a good point. I will say, that I, I think I might be overthinking this one. And I think Hank could be spot on where there's just, different levels of talent. And obviously there's going to be a cap when it comes to UCF and Florida. No, um, True. Yep. But I guess, I mean, neither of these teams have the quarterback that they started the season with. We've got 11 and two Houston playing six and six Auburn in the Birmingham bowl. This is at noon on ESPN on December 28th. Houston was really good this year. I mean, they hung with everybody. I like their chances of competing with Auburn. Yeah, I'll take the I don't points. know who Auburn's QB is. I'll take the points in that one. Yeah, uh, not to curse us, but I think I like the points too, just because who is playing quarterback for Auburn? Uh, one, uh, Tank Bigsby, another guy who also entered the transfer portal. So they lose their leading rusher. Um, unless they got like another Malik Willis just waiting uh, at backup quarterback in Auburn, I don't really understand how they're, they, how, how are they motivated? How do they have the players really to kind of, come out and play a football game at a highly competitive level. This, I mean, across the board, offensive line versus Houston defensive line. I feel like you got to like that matchup. So I'm taking the points too, but there That's is a good point. just the, the force, the number of four stars in this game is going to be right. a significant gap. Well, and Auburn, I mean, they were beating Alabama for what, 58 minutes in that game a couple of weeks ago and just, kind of gave it up at the end before overtime. Mm-hmm. That said, I just, I, in these bowl games, I just, I tend to lean on the teams that have more to play for. And a lot of times that is the G5 team talent cap or not. We've got Louisville versus Air Force in the first responder bowl. I love Air Force in this matchup. Just, you, you're not used to the triple option. Air Force defensively is actually pretty stout. They've got good athletes and they have better size than they typically do. 
I know Louisville can be frisky, but they've just, they have not impressed me this year. And so I'll, I'll take the triple option. I'll take the over in this one. I don't know what the line is going to be. I'm taking the over. It's a good call too. Um, yeah, man, hard to really pick Louisville in this spot. I think Air Force, I mean, you're catching points. I know it's not many, but uh, a point and a half, you get the dog, you get the team that seems to be playing more as a team. Um, just better coached at this point. And again, the triple option, man, for a team like Louisville who really doesn't go against stuff like that could really uh, be a thorn in their side. And again, you can't, you can't go against air force in a first responder bowl. They're just, you know, it's one of those things that just <laughs> feels go. right. <laughs> go to some of the bigger bowls, Oklahoma versus Oregon in the Alamo bowl, 10 and two OU 10 and three Oregon. Neither of these teams ended their seasons the way they wanted to. Neither of these teams have the head coach that they started the season with. Bob Stoops, though. I, I know. It's such a weird situation. <laughs> um, I like Oklahoma. I think I do, too. This is a tough one to feel out. But you're probably not going to have Kayvon Thibodeau. You're probably not going to have a bunch of those guys. I think, I think Oklahoma is the move. Like Especially after we just see Oregon get pushed around by Utah. And I just, right. it's tough to put Utah in the context of Oklahoma. Because, I mean, Utah is more physical than Oklahoma is. But when the gap is so big there, I think I got to go Oklahoma. Yeah, and just watching Anthony Brown against Utah those past couple games, man, that is, that, that's just rough, man. I, I don't think I could put money behind him. I know Caleb Williams at times can be shaky too, but um, I think that you laid it out perfectly without Thibodeau and without, a lot of the, I mean, Oregon's playing without a head coach too. Um, who's going to, they lose crystal ball. So who's going to be coaching this game? Um, college football is insane. I, I'd take Oklahoma though. Speaking of Utah, since we just brought them up, they are taking on Ohio state in the Rose bowl, probably one of the more intriguing bowl matchups this season on, on new year's day. Where are you at on that one, Hank? Um, I think I take Utah. Again, they're just so much more physical in the trenches. That's six and a half points. I'll take those points. Yeah, look, if you were on Michigan and you saw what Michigan did to Ohio State a couple of weeks ago, Utah is built in the same way, man. Um, I like it, yep. Saw Oregon did to Ohio State. Utah's got their secret weapon playing in the bowl game. Britton Covey who has been on the team since the 1980s and uh, <laughs> continues to, to suit up for the Utes. But no, it's like 2015. But I, I, I like Utah as well. I think it's going to be competitive. Where are you guys at on Notre Dame versus Oklahoma State in the Fiesta Bowl? Honestly, the New Year's Six Bowls in general turned out pretty intriguing. Hopefully yeah, the games actually live up to it, though. A lot of times, you know, we see these matchups. Oh, it's going to be so fun. And think- then one team wins 40 to 10. I think ahead, both Hank. those teams are overrated, I, but I've got to go Oklahoma State. I think, especially with those two points, I Notre Dame has done nothing this season. Notre Dame, like, they haven't screwed up to their credit, but what, did they beat a ranked team this year? They beat Wisconsin, that's right. Like, I, there's just too much potential for them to be frauds, and so I'm, I'm going with Oklahoma State. Um, yeah, I think uh, still a bit early to pick this game because, um, is Kyron Williams playing? Is Kyle Hamilton playing? You have to um, those are that. big. 
Yeah, that's that's what I'm thinking too. So th- those are big catalysts um, when picking a side here. Um, that being said, if there's no Kyron Williams and you're really betting on Jack Cohn to go against this Oklahoma State defense, I like the Cowboys to come out on top in that matchup. I don't like putting my faith in Mike Gundy, but I do trust that Oklahoma State defense, and I think they can do enough offensively. Sugar Bowl, we've got Ole Miss taking on Baylor, and again, we can talk about some of these games again when we get closer. Um, I imagine Matt Corral's not going to play, but we shall see. Um, I don't know. Baylor's kind of hot at the right time, it feels like. Yeah, I'm going Baylor. That's why, I mean, I'm I just bet. assuming Matt Corral isn't going to play, too. Baylor's burned me all year. I bet against them all year, and I think this is the time where I finally flip um, and join the, the Baylor Bear side. I like it. Well, I think that's good for today. We'll do it and, you know, we'll talk about the playoff matchups way more in depth when we do a, a pod dedicated to it. So we don't want to spill uh, spill it all too early. Thank you to everybody for listening to the DNVR Draft Podcast presented by DraftKings Sportsbook. We are going to be back likely in two weeks with a pair of episodes. Hope everybody has a very happy holiday. Stay safe out there. Stay warm. Much love.